Hello everyone and welcome to the Remember Charity podcast where we bring together fundraisers and friends from the sector to chat about all things legacies. This episode we have a brilliant panel of experts from the wool writing sector who are here to answer some questions which we really hope are going to help you as legacy fundraisers. So we know that there are loads of amazing resources out there at the moment specifically for fundraisers but we've really loved carving out this little corner of the internet for our podcast because it's so informal and it's also a chance for you to take that all-important break from your screens. I think especially when so many of us are going to be working from home for the foreseeable. Um, I personally love plugging in a podcast at lunchtime and going for a little stroll around the park um, and even more so now the weather is improving slightly. Um, okay, so this episode is intended to help you with your legacy fundraising planning. Uh, we're going to be reflecting on the wool writing trends from during the pandemic last year and the insights and issues that legacy fundraisers might need to consider in the year ahead. And there's going to be a lot to explore and unpick um, and we wanted to have voices from across the wool writing sector. So I'm delighted that we've got five brilliant guests on our panel today. And if you could all introduce yourself and just explain briefly what you do. Um, Dave, if I can come to you first. Well, thank you, Lucinda. Wonderful to be here. And uh, hello to all the other panellists. Brilliant to be uh, seeing you all again, at least digitally. My name's Dave Newick. I'm the Chief Executive of Arkin. Arkin Legal is a, a technology company which provides solutions to the bereavement sector. So typically uh, business efficiency and document automation um, solutions. Thank you, Dave. Welcome. Uh, Lorraine, if I can come to you next. Thanks Lucinda. I'm Lorraine Robinson and I'm Head of Legal at Fairwell. I'm a step qualified solicitor as well. Um, at Fairwell we support over 100 different charities with um, their will writing services. Um, we're a will writing provider and also provide probate and funeral services too. Thank you Lorraine. Uh, James? Yeah, hi Lucinda. Uh, my name's James Antonio. I'm the Head of uh, Legal Practice for estate planning um, at Co-op uh, Legal Services. Um, so we are uh, regulated by the SRA um, and provide a broad range of, of legal services. Um, and within that, uh, we support a number of charities with uh, free will services together with discounted will writing services to their supporters. Brilliant, thank you, James. And John? Hi, uh, Lucinda. I'm uh, John Brewer. I'm the founder of Bequeathed and a former solicitor some time ago uh, now. Uh, Bequeathed is an online legacy fundraising company, so we're not a will writer. We have 125 plus charities um, and we help uh, supporters and other consumers make a will for good, um, always with a legal firm. Uh, they can do that online or telephone or video or perhaps once things are back to normal face to face. Thanks, John. And uh, last but not least, Ian. Thanks, Lucinda. My name's Ian Wonstall. After my first career as an army officer, I've been a product client solicitor for 25 years, mainly in product practice. However, early last year, just before COVID, I decided to set up my own wills and estate planning consultancy. I specialise in wills, estate planning, life planning, legal life planning, and work very closely with the ministry community and also with various charities, for example, helping out wills campaigns, even talks to their supporters, articles and Q&As. 
Great, thank you everyone. Um, we've got a really good mixture of voices and expertise and experience. So, um, so yeah, thank you all so much for your time. Okay, so I'm going to be asking five questions on your behalf to our guests, all related to will writing during the pandemic and the current lockdown. So straight into the first question. Um, I think we can all agree that there's been a huge upsurge in the demand for wills, particularly last year. Um, but what were the key trends or behaviour changes that you spotted? And um, Lorraine, I'm going to pick on you first. Thanks, Lucinda. Yeah, so there was a huge upsurge and, and, and we saw it at, at Farewell, um, approximately a kind of 267% upsurge in, in will writing online. Um, but I think a, a key um, change that we saw was the appetite for people to engage with the service remotely. So whether that was online or phone, um, people were reaching out to us to be supported um, in a different way than they had done in the years previously. Um, but also um, alongside that, there was a huge rise in the generosity that kind of outstripped um, the, the volume in which they were coming to online services or, or telephone services um, and gifts to charity. Um, actually increased at over kind of 700% um, in, in terms of the value being left to charity um, through our services. Um, so it was, it was a really difficult time for a lot of people, but the generosity that was being seen um, in the way that they were writing wills was the biggest change really that we saw throughout the year. Thank you, Lorraine. Uh, anyone else want to jump in? Yeah, I'll jump in on that. Look, I think for me, uh, one of the key aspects is that globally we've seen this behavioural shift and change in the way that people are uh, interacting throughout business. And of course, uh, wool writing is, is caught up in that. And so uh, that is likely to be with us now. It's likely to be a, a lasting change. And with that change, we're going to start to see things kind of move and, uh, and, uh, and evolve inside the sector. So some of that's kind of business related, but some of that's also just people themselves and, and uh, actually now an acceptance that kind of crossed the Rubicon, if you like, that, that uh, doing things uh, without a face-to-face -face consultation is, is actually probably now their preferred method of doing things because it's just uh, so much more efficient. So it's gonna be interesting to see the way that uh, that, that continues to evolve and, and change the way that legacy fundraising uh, operates. Yeah, Ian. <laughs> something I've been interested in, <clears throat> so being a very fairly recent setup, the normal sort of uh, market I'm looking at is a 50 plus age group, but doing some analysis on my website and those who have looked at the website, it's been reversed actually. And so the majority have looked have been 25 to 34 year olds, mm -hmm. then the 35, 44, 45, 54, and then what I would have thought be my normal target audience. Now, partly I'm advertising marketing in Facebook more than I've ever done that before. That might be it, but it's interesting seeing that trend from my side. Yeah, I guess some people have been slightly concerned that I think because of the the age group that they might be doing will writing that they might be put off by by having to do everything online or remotely. Is that is that anything anyone's seen? I think to to echo some of the points that have already been made, the the, the biggest thing that from a will writing perspective, from a will writing provider perspective that the pandemic has brought is, is that adoption of accepting the uh, remote nature of the service. Um, and I think what it has done is because of the circumstances that everyone's found them in, it's, it's accelerated um, 
that development of, of, of people's acceptance um, because they've had to you have had to um, adopt these remote services in order to, to achieve what they want to achieve in other words write a will and I think the you know this was something that was slowly occurring uh, within the industry but I think that the pandemic and the challenges that came with it uh, certainly as I say accelerated um, people's willingness to try something different I think actually once they had gone down that route um, they actually found it pretty straightforward and, and simple to do I think to echo Dave's comment you know it's, it's hard to see it reverting back certainly to the extent that that perhaps it was in the past I think um, those people who wanted to make a will during this time of course have had to find a different way of, of doing it um, and, you know, you said that there's been a great upsurge. Actually, talking to many law firms, they haven't seen an upsurge. So the, the question is whether that's just an upsurge that online um, services are reporting. But if you had to make a will during this pandemic, then, of course, you needed to change your behaviour. I think it's still um, an open question as to whether those people that choose to make their will in the future when there isn't that necessity because they can still go and make something face-to-face will will do so or not um, and that comes Dave, down to Dave's point I think which is that as people have found that all aspects of online are perhaps a little easier to engage with than they that they thought about then perhaps they will continue to choose you know online for wills as well but I don't know that necessarily that it may, represents a fundamental shift because of course many people have yet to make their will and and we'll do so when they can do face-to-face. Thank you, John. Uh, Dave, I think you wanted to say something. Yeah, just picking up on a point there, um, look, we provide solutions to the industry. A lot of them are, are law firms. In fact, most of our clients are, are law firms. So the 600 law firms and uh, our data set that we uh, consider is the wills that we hold on behalf of uh, those clients. And there's uh, several hundred thousand wills. Now, if you compare 2019 to 2020 in terms of the uh, the lift in gifting over what is now quite a big number. I mean, the, the, the value of the assets that held in those wills was about 71 and a half billion. The, the increase was 13%. So actually 13% when you uh, bring that back down to sort of pounds and pence is, is a reasonably significant number. Now, I don't have the data to tell you how that compares to 2018, but uh, it is still, I think, a, uh, a reasonably large step forward. Just to clarify that point, Dave, is that a 13% increase in people writing their wills or people including a gift to charity? It's a 13% increase in gifting to charity from 2019 to 2020. Great. Ian, did you want to mention something? Yeah, I think it's also useful to say about the face-to-face because my background has always been, I always have meetings face-to-face with clients. And I still am. We've got the either in-person face-to-face or Zoom face-to-face. So all of my clients since COVID have been the same meeting I would do normally. So it's with me and my two clients, I'm seeing them, I'm speaking to them. It is still a meeting. I personally would always prefer in-person, obviously. But I do think that this is a, has uh, offered a great opportunity and flexibility with clients and will writers, be it lawyers or solicitors or whatever. Uh, but it is, I'm not doing mine online. They are still face-to-face, but virtually. Thank you, everyone. Some um, some really interesting points there. Um, just to to pick up on the world that we found ourselves in, and um, 
have you had any particular challenges um, or conversely opportunities um, for your particular organizations during this time and, and how have you approached that? Uh, can I come to Dave first on that? Yeah, well, obviously it's been difficult for the industry, hasn't it? And, uh, you know, if you kind of look at the timeline, there's um, a, uh, a period of time where everyone was a little bit at sea and a little bit lost. The, the shock and awe of the first lockdown and everything that's happening was um, pretty surprising to many of our clients. But um, yeah, they they did very, very well to uh, to adjust. And, uh, you know, you're talking about firms that are reasonably conservative and don't like necessarily to move quickly uh, in and around change, but they did, uh, they did incredibly well. So that was the first kind of challenge that, that they had. From there, really, it was uh, coping with the just the sheer volume that was coming at them. Obviously, Lorraine was talking about the increase in, in wills that need to be uh, written, but then obviously in some practices you have uh, private client solicitors and conveyancing, and there's uh, a huge increase in conveyancing as well that's been happening. And we can't go past the death rate. I mean, the death rate is against the five-year average is up 8.8% and people over 70, and yeah, that is a significant increase. That's 35,000 extra deaths, and that was just through to the last the time I checked, which was early October. So that then leads through to a, a corresponding increase in probate, and obviously all the problems with the with the probate office in terms of that happening and uh, the, the rising contentious probate. So there's all sorts of kind of challenges, I think, within the industry that have um, made it quite difficult. And you, know, you layer over the top of that remote working and uh, all of the other usual challenges that you have. Attestation of wills, that's a good one. How do you do that? Um, so yeah, it's been it's been very challenging. Yeah, I'd just like to come in there and just talk a little bit um, about some of the challenges that the profession saw really. So alongside my role at Fairwell, um, I'm also the co-chair of the Law Society Wills and Equity Committee. Um, and we were working with the MOJ on um, the changes to the laws around witnessing wills to try to support people who were um, in lockdown and able to kind of get their wills witnessed in the traditional sense. Um, but overwhelmingly, the profession, whether it's you know solicitors, will writers, or the people professionally supporting people to write wills, responded incredibly to um, the the call that there was from the public to help them with putting their affairs in order as they faced mortality last year. Um, and you know. It, we, we did an awful lot online and we also launched a telephone service to support customers that weren't so comfortable online, were scared to leave their homes um, or to, to kind of engage in face-to-face -face services and we supported them over the telephone. Um, and also in trying to leverage our, our kind of influence and, you know, by the law society to make sure that their change happened um, so that wills could get witnessed in these very unusual times really. I don't think many people, and there'll be people on the call here that could give their um, insight, know that many wills have been witnessed by video, but it is a kind of reassuring thing to have in your back pocket as a professional, um, that if somebody's in isolation, that you can actually get their will witnessed. So that was one of the biggest challenges as a professional that I saw last year. Yeah, I think we all heard of some interesting methods of getting things witnessed over fences and through car windows. But um, I know that from, from our perspective, it was something that we welcomed just because it, it opened it up and it made it so much more accessible. But, but from, from what I've heard from, from the real writing sector is that there was a lot of concern over um, security and, and there was, it was very much seen as a last resort. Is that something that, that you've all, all seen as well? 
I mean, absolutely. It's a last resort and, and um, the guidance that I kind of helped author um, it with the kind of Law Society practice notes is to reinforce that it really should be a last resort and, and get your will witnessed um, in person if you can. And if that's through a window on a car bonnet or however, um, that is much preferred to, to any kind of Zoom or other video software available um, option that, that you might want to engage with. <laughs> Yeah, it seemed like it was even more complicated to do it over Zoom. There's so many things you had to to make sure were in place just to make sure that it was really, really sort of watertight. And I think it's probably easier to do it in person if you can, but obviously that's not always the case. Um, in terms of opportunities, with um, I think something that that some people have been saying is that the whole sort of mindset of the public has shifted just because everyone has taken a step back and looked at what's important to them and reflecting on their immortality. And, and I think the conversation has opened up massively in terms of people becoming more, more comfortable with talking about death and legacies. And obviously it's always been a, a big taboo, but, um, but do you know if, if that's been seen as, I think opportunity is the wrong word, you don't want to be seen as ambulance chasing, but, um, but in terms of, of business is is that is that being seen as as a as an opportunity as such yeah i think i think sorry go on james no i was just going to say i i think you know that there are uh, fairly um experienced providers here so we're, we're fairly well established in the market and i think what we what we saw was uh, the, a big surge in, in inquiries with people that are, are wanting to to make wills and you know, there is the, the challenge of working remotely um, in order, not just um, uh, doing the work remotely, but also just physically moving colleagues to working from a remote environment. Um, but I think, so the, the, I hate to use the term opportunity, but there was certainly a massive increase as, uh, and there were people that required a service and we were there to support them um, as far as, as far as we could. Um, and just because of the the depth and size of our service, we, we were able to to significantly support um, to support them through that journey. I think from the charity's perspective, um, when you combine the fact of a pandemic, um, which came with it the large publicity in terms of death rates and infection rates, which were constantly being pumped through the media into people's homes. Um, there's never, I think there's never been a more engaged audience, uh, certainly in the 18 years that I've been practicing as a solicitor um, around making a will. So in terms of opportunity, uh, if we want to use that term, I think we look at it through the lens of the charity and we think, well, actually we have, you know, there's, there's so many charities out there that have looked to, um, uh, to, to find, a, a, I suppose, a successful way in which they can engage with their supporters um, uh, with regard to making a will. And I think certainly what the pandemic has brought with it, together with the fact that the nation's been in lockdown for a considerable period of time, which means people have just got more time to consider their own personal circumstances. They may have more time to focus on things like estate planning, which perhaps they previously wouldn't have done traveling to and from work and dealing with busy lives. I think when you combine the pandemic and the lockdown, I, I, I think there's never been uh, a better time for charities to engage with their supporters 
um, and, and to get their message across, both in terms of will writing, but also in terms of the good work that a legacy uh, to their cause could do. Yeah, uh, sorry, John, yeah, go ahead. And uh, I think I think the the challenge for charities is probably sort of well documented in forums and, and so on has been whether they do push on with legacy marketing in, in in this environment or whether they pull back, whether it's insensitive or or not. But certainly a, a lot of the approaches we had from charities came it was actually consumer led because they were getting consumers and supporters approaching them because charities are well known for providing free wills. So if you're more aware of your mortality because of what's going on and you're thinking about making a will, then many people will naturally turn to a charity. Uh, and so um, they were they were simply responding to that demand by saying, well, actually, we will find you a way to make your will in the current environment, you know, be that online or, or, or a mixture of the, of the two. And, and actually, I, you know, I, without sounding, I don't think it's self-interested, I think that's right. I think it's, it, it's right for charities to help their supporters in the bad times, you know, by making those free wills available. Um, uh, if at all possible, and not only in the good times when when the ask can be around the legacy marketing. Well, actually, the, the sort of fundamental point of what the charity is doing is helping their supporters make the will that they are beginning to feel a little bit desperate that they they, that they need. And so, and it's for each charity to make their own mind up. But um, certainly, we've not had any sort of feedback from our charities that supporters feel that they're being taken advantage of quite the opposite they're very grateful that their charities that they feel passionately about are, are helping them take those steps and overcome the issues around you know where do i get the advice from and how do i witness it etc so that's great to hear that's really reassuring um oh in yeah please go ahead yes yeah, so, <clears throat> following on from james's comment actually excuse me <clears throat> i think sort of my Initial thought clearly would be people would be focusing more on doing wills at more time to do it. What I've found as a practitioner quite a few times, clients are a lot slower getting things turned around because they've got other concerns now. And I had this eye opener for me. I had some clients, both business people. I had to gently follow them up two or three times and saying basically getting used to lockdown, concerns about furlough, and homeschooling. And so a lot of people, I think, are aware, much more aware that they want to, they need to, but actually getting around to doing it. I think quite often it isn't actually happening yet. Mm. Yeah, I think um, we've definitely seen that um, anecdotally, I think we've heard that from a lot of, of charities that when they've been yeah promoting legacies to their supporters, that the response has actually been overwhelmingly positive and that their supporters do still want to hear from them. They do still want to know about how they can help. And I think something else to bear in mind is is, is as you say that a lot of people are under pressure on over furlough, their job security, and whilst they might not be able to, to give to charity what they'd like to right now, being able to leave a legacy is being able to help in the future. And it's a sort of, you know, um, agree now, pay later sort of thing. And it's quite it's another way of people being able to support uh, charities that they really care about in a different way. Um, on a similar note, um, when it comes to how you're, you are communicating to, to, your, um, to your clients, to the public, have you had to adapt your will offering or the messaging around it during this particular time? Um, I'm going to come back to you, Ian, because I know that you mentioned earlier that you were using 
Facebook um, and obviously as a sole practitioner have you had to rethink how you're approaching potential clients and the way that you're talking about it at all? I think the main thing is actually getting the message across is isn't sales is helping as trying to give advice trying to help people out letting people know that first of all that they can still do wills and estate planning powers returning uh, they don't need, need to lose any service um, that we're out there. So that's been the main issue getting across there. Obviously being a new new business type thing as well has been interesting. Social media, I wasn't expecting to use so much because I was doing more uh, local magazine, professional contacts as always. Uh, but LinkedIn, more for contacts rather than clients, to be honest, actually. But the Facebook angle is something I've never really used before. I'm still learning that. But again, it's getting the message out there of actually just right, this is what we can do to help. Um, I was doing from phase one, I was doing some free wills clinics in my local community before COVID kicked in in the library. And I'm offering it online and also the military community. I think it's, it's getting the message out there. So it's, it's much more varied. Obviously my background is being the law firms now by myself, it is very different. But uh, social media is a lot more involved than I anticipated personally, to be honest. Thank you, Ian. Go ahead, Lorraine. Yeah, I was just gonna to touch on some of the messaging really. It was something that, um, early last year, we, we kind of took a decision to, to pause some of the messaging that for us, um, we felt helped people engage with mortality before the pandemic, but we didn't feel was appropriate once the kind of pandemic um, hit in March. Um, and, and also how we reacted. Um, we, we saw very early on through the registrations that a lot of NHS workers were the first to come to us and we saw the rises um, coming in NHS email addresses, NHS pensions being registered in the wills that we were writing. Um, and our reaction was to kind of offer free wills to NHS workers um, then, and we wrote a considerable amount of those. Um, but it was really, it gave us the kind of first insight into the support that people needed and how people were feeling in those first kind of weeks before in kind of February time, um, how NHS workers were feeling was a really good kind of introduction to us to how the rest of the nation were going to feel in the months coming after that. And we were able to kind of adjust our messaging, adjust the way in which our teams were structured to service um, the increase in demand. So it was quite challenging and we did adapt um, our services and our messaging. Yeah, I guess you have to be so flexible. I think this sort of situation has shown us how important it is to be adaptable and to be able to responds proactively to this sort of thing. So that's great to hear. And um, anyone else anything to add to that? Nope, no worries, we'll go on to the next question. Um, so going back to um, thinking about the sort of the trends that we saw last year in terms of behavior, um, is there anything that you predict is going to happen in the forthcoming year or is anything gonna continue uh, in the year to come um, considering we're going to obviously be staying in lockdown for a little while, gradually, hopefully, fingers crossed, coming out of lockdown by the end of the year. Um, what issues do you think that legacy fundraisers in particular need to consider um, when speaking to their supporters uh, when it comes to the year ahead? Um, and if I can come to, yeah, James first. Yeah, so we're, we're continuing to just to see that, you know, that surge continues. And I think the longer... The pandemic goes on and let's hope it finishes sooner than uh, than late rather than later um but we are still seeing a huge appetite for will writing that's that's both through our sort of our normal traditional channels but also through through charity our charity partners um 
as well. So I think from the charities perspective, there'll be lots of charities listening to this. And some of those charities will have um, mature legacy departments and, and campaigns running with their supporters. There'll also be uh, smaller charities as well that perhaps haven't uh, really engaged in this space. Um, so I would sort of say to them that, that, that this, is a, this is sort of the time when they really should be considering how they're going to um, drive their sort of strategy forward um, with the, the stewardship of their, their supporters and engage with them around world writing because they will have supporters that um, are looking for putting, uh, putting a will in place. And, and for me, the question for them is to consider, do, are they looking uh, to be able to support um, with will writing providers? Um, and if so, um, and they may already be providing it, but in a more, let's say, traditional face-to-face -face, um, uh, channel, uh, would they then be looking at moving to a, an online and telephony-based um, channel as well? Um, I think that that's something, so those that haven't got a, a mature um, will service, whether that's something that they should be prioritizing, particularly now when there's the, the that engagement um, that they could have with their supporters. Great, thank you, James. Uh, Lorraine? Yeah, I was just gonna echo what James just said, really. I think that there, there will be charities that have really mature propositions and those that don't. Um, and it doesn't need to be complicated. They can use the resources that they've already got. It can be as simple as having a kind of dedicated page, but what's really important is kind of keeping the ask clear and simple and using a streamlined user journey that's gonna help people through this difficult time. Um, you know, that they might have more time on their hands. They might have less. Um, I know homeschooling and working is difficult and it's difficult to manage it all at once. Um, so having, um, the support of a, of a charity that you that you care about um, is really going to make a difference if you're struggling um, to either meet the cost of making a will yourself um, or even just struggling with the concept of writing your first will a charity can be there to help yeah it can be a bit overwhelming I think the thought of just making a start on it I know that's something that I definitely feel and <laughs> um, Dave did you want to add something yeah, look, I think just um, to add to James and Lorraine, absolutely agree with that. I would say that the uh, that the pace of change is going to intensify. So we're going to start to see uh, much faster adoption of technology generally in, in society and in industry. And people are going to use that uh, technology as, a, as an enabler uh, because they'll now know that that is the new norm. That's the way to, to, to reach people. And of course, legacy fundraising is, is, is going to be caught up in that. So there's a need then to really start to think about how you're going to reach uh, the people that you want to reach to, to get the world, to get your messaging right. And uh, to, to add to what Ian was saying, you know, where are they hanging out? Just by way of kind of some stats and behind that, um, you know, 80% of people over 65 have got a will. Uh, people between uh, 55 and 64, the percentage drops down to 50%. So as that cohort, we know the population is getting older. So uh, as that cohort 55 to 64 starts to kind of head into that range and you would think that logically it would follow through that then the percentage would also uh, increase uh, as well, then that's an opportunity in terms of uh, securing more, uh, more fundraising opportunities because more people will have a will. So the key thing will be then how to, uh, how to reach those people. What, what is the messaging? Where are they hanging out in this kind of new uh, way of, of working, which we think is going to be 
uh, durable and, and the way that we'll work in the future. I think um, in terms of um, where that target audience are, are hanging out, I think we've seen from, from Remember a Charity's perspective, we've had great success with um, with using Facebook. As Ian mentioned, I think there's a really high portion of that that baby boomer audience who love Facebook. I can't get my dad off Facebook, honestly, it's, it's a nightmare. Um, but yeah, using Facebook as that targeted platform where you can really use the, the technology that they have for, for narrowing down your target audience, I think is something that, that we definitely recommend in terms of, of getting that messaging out there and being able to test it and use the data that you get off the back of it um, to help um, really sort of perfect that that legacy messaging, which I think is is vital, especially at time this time where it's so sensitive and it's important to do it do it properly. Um, go on, James. Uh, sorry, not James. John. <laughs> I think there's there's possibly a little bit of caution as, as well. So if um, everybody is right that the take up of online in the wheel space is is going to increase and it's something that's sort of here to stay um, then certainly in the past I think you know people in the industry have said well online is taken up by the younger ones with more simple circumstances and therefore you know sort of you know I suppose simple processes are okay I, I think charities also need to to consider the potential that there are people coming online who perhaps are not as comfortable with online and whose circumstances aren't perhaps in the category of simple, uh, but but probably don't know it. Um, and so I think, um, you know, you've got the early adopters, but as everybody else comes through, then those processes have to develop in order to absolutely fundamentally address such issues such as capacity and undue influence and, and uh, unfortunate or uh, sort of um, uh, disinheritance and, and so on. And um, I think um, certainly if you want to then rely on the gifts that have been pledged from, from what I hear in, in greater numbers, then, then charities need to be really careful that their, their supporters are, are sort of being fully advised in whatever process they take. Um, we don't just assume they're all simple people, simple needs with simple wills. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Ian, do you want to... As I said, do all meetings face-to-face, -face. sorry, sorry, <clears throat> and sort of most lawyers I've worked with do face-to-face -face meetings. I think important that the charities do sort of uh, work with the world writing community as well, because I know quite a few of the online worlds I've looked at, there are quite a few prompts supporting charities and so forth. But when you're doing a face-to-face -face meeting uh, like that, a lot of the people who are taking instructions may not raise the question with charities. And I find most of my clients who do support charities are already charity supporters. And I know we've discussed before, Lucinda, but the more people like us discuss charities with people writing wills, and there is a great interest in them that we should be raising these questions, uh, the more people are going to benefit charities. But we need to get that message out to the will writing professions, not just the online ones where they do have prompts, but you've got the face to face meetings where you don't necessarily have those with prompts. Yeah, that's <laughs> And um, that's something that uh, Remember a Charity is very much um, a focus of what we do in trying to raise awareness amongst the uh, solicitor and will writing community to ensure that they understand the importance of mentioning it to clients so that they understand that it's an option once they've looked after family and loved ones. Yeah, it's a really good point. Thank you, Ian. Um, James, did you want to say something? Yeah, I was just to, to pick, up on, pick up on Ian's point. Um, 
regarding the, the sort of the personalized engagement when asking for, for legacies. And I think it's important for, um, for, the, for the listeners to, um, to uh, understand that actually when we talk about online, there are within that there are different types of online. So there are some providers that will offer a fully automated end-to-end online experience. Um, there'll be others like ourselves, the co-op, which we, means you can start online, but you will always have an engaged personal telephone conversation to discuss those wishes and affairs and to get and to give legal advice um, and also to talk about leaving a, a legacy as well. So I think from the from the listener's perspective, if they're considering do we go online and what, what would be the implications of that, it's very important that they understand the different types of of, of online that kind of sit underneath that umbrella because we're all we've all got a very different approach to it. Thank you James. Go on Lorraine. Yeah I just wanted to kind of reiterate that you know there is a, a great range of services available to people and not all online services are equal. Um, you know we, we offer um, telephone support and online chat support to all of our customers and there's humans at the centre of our online service too. It's incredibly important that the people get the right will for their circumstances um, and it's really important that um, services, whether it's a solicitor, will writer, whatever professional, um, are considering each person's circumstances. But all professionals in this arena can do a lot um, to normalise legacy giving. And I think that's the most important thing is normalising that ask, um, whether it's face to face, whether it's over the telephone or online. Um, there really isn't a reason not to ask about leaving a gift to charity, because the only way a charity is going to get a legacy is if a will is written, um, because the intestacy rules certainly aren't going to leave anything to charity. Thank you, Lorraine. Can I put that on a t-shirt, please? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's exactly like why we're all here. It's it's trying to normalise legacy giving, normalise the ask of, of legacy giving and try and change behaviour as a whole across across the public um, to, yeah, to try and keep all of our most wonderful charities going for years and years ahead. Um, so our very last question, do any of you or all of you have any top tips for for charities listening um, for the year ahead? Um, it could be something smaller. It could be a, a larger piece of advice. Um, James, go ahead. Yeah. So um, my thoughts, Lucinda, from a from a charity's perspective, I think one of the things that I would possibly be concerned about is funding. Um, I'm conscious that a lot of charities are going to be struggling this year just because of so many channels have been switched off and there may be a, a reservation or certainly internal challenges in order to get budget sufficient budget to try and support a um, supporting a legacy marketing campaign um, so my top tip would be just to I suppose to, to engage in, and, and understand the market because there are various options that are available to charity some of which there are no there's no cost to the charity at all but they can still take steps to provide a uh, a legacy platform through will writing um, with, with an external provider. So my tip would be don't be put off on budget. And uh, if internal stakeholders are, are limiting budget that's available, then there's always an, there's always something out there that, that you can do. So don't give up. Great tip. Thank you, James. Dave? I, I support James in that. I think um, certainly look to your distribution channels and to see what you can do to uh, to work with partners who can assist you to, to get to your target uh, target audience. I think if you don't have uh, the uh, sort of technology skills and digital marketing skills around your board table to consider that, 
because that increasingly is going to become an important skill set for, for charities to be able to compete successfully in, uh, in the years to come. And you need to, to take those skills and to, to formulate a strategy and, uh, and uh, to be in the market uh, and be relevant to, uh, to the people who you're, you're trying to target. That's a great point. Thank you, Dave. Lorraine? Yeah, I'd just like to kind of echo some of the things that we've said throughout um, the podcast, really, and, and return to them. I think one of the, the best tips, I suppose, is, is just not to be afraid of promoting legacy giving right now. Um, lots of charities paused their activity last year, um, but people do want to write their wills. Um, they want to support their charity of choice. And there hasn't really been a negative reaction to that that was expected. Um, and again, it really doesn't need to be complicated use the resource that you have, use the data that's out there to help you kind of convert those skeptics that are on your board about the kind of value of legacy giving. There's so much data out there. There's so much willingness to, to write wills right now. Um, and also a, a huge amount of um, goodwill about the work that charities are doing and the inability to engage in kind of traditional ways of fundraising at the moment. People can't run group marathons. They can't do all those other things that they would be doing. Um, so turning to legacy giving might just be the thing that, that they can do. Thank you, Lorraine. I think that's a really positive note to end on. Um, so thank you, all of you, so much for your time and your expertise. I think there's been some really valuable but really positive encouraging insights here um, for our listeners so I hope I hope that's been really really useful to all of our charity members listening um, if anyone has any further questions um, about anything we've spoken about please do email us at info at rememberacharity.org.uk and I'll pass it on to the guests uh, where relevant um, thank you everyone for listening uh, we have some great podcasts and webinars lined up but as always if there's any topics that you want us to cover in the future or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast please do get in touch um, thank you everyone again thanks take care and goodbye <laughs>